ahead in your Bibles and turn to Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 27 uh, through 32. And you can just go ahead and get there, and I'll make sure I've got everything all situated here. All righty. So back in 1937 at Florida Bible Institute in Tampa, Florida, there was a, a gentleman there who was a dean. His name was John Minder. And John Minder was asked to come about, I don't know, 150 miles uh, north of Tampa to visit a conference center and some pastors up there. And so when he went, he decided to take one of his uh, young students with him, and they went on up to, to this conference center. Well, well, as a custom in that day and time, when you would meet with a local pastor somewhere, this is like on a Saturday, that local pastor asked uh, John, he said, hey, would you come and preach at our service tomorrow evening? We'd love to have you. And John, with, without a beat, said, I don't think I'll be able to, but my student here, he would love to do it. Uh, obviously, it, the student was a little uh, concerned about that, had never preached in front of a, a church before. But he had been working on some sermons, had about three or four sermons, about 20, 20 minutes each, that he thought, well, I could probably pick one of those and use them. So he spent all Saturday evening and all day Sunday praying and preparing, getting it all together. And then he shows up on Sunday night, and he took all four sermons up there with him, because he wasn't real sure how he was going to handle it, so he just took all four with him. So he gets up there, and he starts on that Sunday evening, and he blows through that first sermon really quick. So he's like, well, let me, let me go ahead and go to the second one since it's here. So he went to the second one really quick, the third one, and then he hit the fourth one. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, I'm out of sermon, so I'm going to have to sit down, have to end this thing. So he goes, and he sits down, and he looks at his watch, and he had only gone eight minutes. <laughs> no, eight minutes of sermon. Four sermons, eight minutes long. And, you know, if those of you that speak, you can appreciate sometimes things go faster than you think they will, but that was pretty extreme. But this individual later on, he wrote, even after that experience, which by all accounts would have probably been a failure from everybody's mind, thinking, man, four sermons, eight minutes. Now, some people may think eight-minute sermons are great. Now, I'm just saying it in general. But he said, I could not get away from that nagging feeling in my heart that I was being called by God to preach the gospel. And that young man was Billy Graham. And he laid that out in his biography. And later on, he goes, you know, if you read through his, just as his, I think his biography is called Just As I Am. If you read through that, later on, he comments on, and you've probably heard this before, where people have asked him, you know, Billy, when you get to heaven, what's the first thing you're going to ask God? Now he's in heaven, he's with God. But the comment he made, he said, I'm going to ask him, why me, Lord? Why did you choose a farm boy from North Carolina to preach to so many people? Why me, Lord? And as we looked last week at the calling of Matthew, I wonder if Matthew could have thought the same thing. Why me, Lord? Why did you choose a tax collector to take the gospel to so many people? Choose me, one of your 12, to go do that. So we're going to continue our series here, an extraordinary response to an intentional encounter, because God is still in the business of calling unlikely candidates to do unlikely things for him. And last week, for those of you that may not have been here for it, uh, just to recap where we were. So Matthew is also Levi, the same, the, the same person. Some, some of your, your Bibles will say the calling of Levi. Some may say the calling of Matthew. Uh, Levi was the Hebrew name. Matthew was his, most scholars think that was Jesus' name that he had given to him, and it meant gift of God or gift of the Lord. And we studied last week or around the, the phrase, follow me, in verses 27 and 28 there of your passage. 
and what Christ's call to Matthew meant. And we talked about how it was an intentional call. It wasn't just something, Jesus didn't walk down the road one day and just randomly say, I'm going to pick somebody. He was after Matthew. He had a plan for Matthew's life, and he went after him, and he called him to be a part of that mission. Second, it also required prompt obedience. Matthew trusted Christ. He saw Jesus for who he really was as Lord and Savior, and he gave up everything to go follow him. And we talked about how obedience to Christ often has to be very prompt, and he, was, he followed that. Third thing was the call was personal. Matthew was going to bring a unique perspective to that group. God had called him out of this tax collector group, and he still had this avenue to them to reach them, and we're going to talk about that today. He had a unique calling, just like all of us have a unique calling, as Dale referred to earlier. And then the last thing we talked about was the calling was costly. It cost Matthew his job, if you will. It cost him eventually his life about 30 years later for following Christ. But it resulted in an exalted Christ, which is what we all desire and hope for with our lives as an exalted Christ. So this week, we're going to conclude just by looking at Matthew's second response here in verses 29 through 32, and then also Jesus' response there at the end. So let me make sure I can get my slides rolling here. All right, good. Uh, so we'll go ahead and read, pick up in verse 29, and I'll just go ahead and read all the way down through, the, through verse 32, and then we'll dive right in. Then Levi hosted a great banquet for him at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I just love Jesus' words. He, he replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen to that. Amen. And today, what I want us to do is I just want to focus on just three brief things here in this passage, and then we'll, we'll conclude. Just three things as I was studying it that God, God just laid on my heart. I just uh, I hope uh, somehow, shape, or form this encourages all of us here today. The first thing is Jesus' love for us compels us to action. Jesus' love for us compels us to action. As I mentioned last week, Matthew, there's not any spoken words of his that I'm aware of here in the scripture. We obviously, he penned the first book in our canonized New Testament, but we're not ever told what anything Matthew said. He's only known by these two responses, that he promptly followed Jesus and that he pulls off this big banquet in honor of Jesus. Those are the two things. And we don't know also how long of a time frame it was between when he got up, left his booth to follow Jesus, and when he had this banquet. Now, logic will tell you he probably didn't have the banquet that night. Uh, if he, Jesus came through and said, follow me, he probably didn't crank it up that evening. Maybe he did. I, I don't know. He may have been able to pull it off. Um, but it probably wasn't two years later either. Uh, we, don't, we don't know the time frame on that. But logic will tell you it was fairly close in proximity, because if you think about it, the people who he invited, he still had a relationship with them. You know how sometimes when you become a believer, you can reach certain people for a while, and then they get kind of tired of you. They push you away. Um, not in all circumstances, 
But Matthew still had a connection to these tax collectors, and he was going to invite them to this banquet. So we don't know the time frame on that. But the reason I mention that is we can conclude, as we all realize here, Matthew was not an expert Christ follower at this time. He, he was not an expert. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know all this stuff yet. He was just beginning to know who Jesus was. He was just beginning to learn about Jesus. But and what's interesting, you, know, you think about all the disciples um, you know, coming together. Even after years of following Jesus, they still didn't get it. There's this um, verse here in Luke 18, 31 through 34. Let me just read that just to remind us where they were even much later. Then he took the 12 aside and told them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, and spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. And then it talks about the disciples. They understood none of this. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So even later on for the disciples, they didn't grasp everything. And you know what? Even today, we don't grasp everything. We, we just don't. If we grasp everything, God is not who he is. God is eternal, and we need that sense of wonder. We need that sense of wonder of God. I mean, if that's what makes following him so amazing when you just walk out there like, wow, God, how did you do this? Or wow, look, God, look at what you created. We need that sense of wonder. That's what just, it just keeps us in awe of him. And, uh, and even though they didn't have all the answers, even though Matthew didn't have all the answers, there's one thing he did have, one thing he did realize. He realized that he had a treasure. Not just a treasure, he had the treasure. He was following Jesus, and he had that treasure. And that treasure was worth everything to him. He gave up his career for Jesus. He treasured that. And he loved that treasure so much that he was compelled to share it with others. Um, I know there's some treasures that can be hidden and all that stuff, but there's a lot of treasures we have that we want to share. When we find a treasure, we want to share that. Um, you all who have been married, guys, I'll speak to the guys. When, when you get married and you actually have someone that said, I do and will actually marry you, and you go out and, and visit with people, you like to show them off. You're like, this, A, she liked me. Now she's married to me. This is my wife. And I used to, with Lisa, I was like, this is Mrs. Hodge. She has my last name, you know. It's like, here is my wife. You know, it's like this, this treasure. You just want to share that with, with so many people when you're, when you're married. It's all brand new and it's all exciting. And it, and it always used to stay that way. But I just remember early on, it was just, wow, look at this. This beautiful lady who loves me and I want people to know she's mine, that God brought her to me. And it's no different when all of you in photography, you go out and you, you take a picture of a beautiful view. You, most of the time, you don't just sit on that picture. You go straight, well, I don't know if everybody does this, but you go to social media, like, 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 happy, happy emoji, all this stuff starts flying around. Because you want to share with people everything that you saw. You want them to see all that beautiful stuff, and you want to share that treasure. And that's what, in a, in a simple way, Matthew pulls this banquet together because he's going to show off his treasure to his, to his friends. And he doesn't have all the answers that we talked about. But here's the key thing he got. And this is what I hope we get today. For Matthew, 
who he knew was more important than what he knew. Amen. Who he knew was more important than what he knew. You know, all he knew at that time probably is that Jesus loved him and that Jesus loved his friends as well. And he knew if he can take me and try to change my life and do something amazing in my life, he can do that for my friends as well. I have just got to get him to them. And how can I do this? And that's what he did. He threw this amazing banquet for him. And I tell you what, what, what an encouragement for all of us to read those words and to think about that. Because sometimes I'm, I'll speak for me. I am very guilty of thinking about interactions I'm going to have with people and wondering, um, I don't have all the answers. What if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? I, I don't know the answers to those things. And, you know, in, in probably reality, with this little tiny mind of mine, I'm never going to know all those things. I just don't think that way on certain levels. When I, when I would read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, you know, I would sit down and say, I'm going to walk out an hour today and start reading some of this book. And I'd read like two pages and like, whoa, let me think about that. And there goes my hour trying to figure out, what did he just say, you know? And then the more you just wrestle with it, it's just so profound. And I'm like, I'm not going to be a C.S. Lewis. I'm not going to be a Ravi Zacharias. Um, God had just gifted them with such amazing minds. But you know what? That's okay. As we talked about last week, I'm not to be them. God made Kevin Hodge to be Kevin Hodge. And that's what I need to be is the best Kevin Hodge I can be. Now, having said that, we do, we are required in Scripture to be prepared to give an answer for everything. Um, so there is a diligence on our part to try to understand what we believe, why we believe it, and to articulate that. So I'm not trying to, to refute that, but I just was basically, it's just an encouragement for me to read this, that Matthew didn't have all the answers, but he took Jesus anyway. And we can do the same thing. We just simply have to point them to Jesus. That's all we have to do. And even though we don't physically have Jesus come into a banquet, we got God's word. We got his word, his written word right here. We just simply have to point them to Jesus. And um, as we talked last week, you know, God is, he's gifted us uniquely to do that. He's gifted each of us uniquely to take his word. Uh, just, and that was the thing about Matthew. Matthew didn't use being a tax collector as an excuse. Could you imagine if he'd sat there and said, well, I'm going to compare myself to, to Peter, to James and John. I mean, these guys they sort of grew up and knew all the churchy stuff. And here I am as a tax collector. And he didn't say, well, I can't do anything because woe is me. I'm not one of them. No, I'm a tax collector. I've got an inroad of this tax collecting community. Let me pull them together. He didn't use that as an excuse. He used that as an opportunity. And just because, you know, we're not all Phil Pike up here preaching, um, that's not an excuse for us. We've, uh, God has gifted us so much in this room some of you, I mean, y'all are just really, really good with conversations. You're gentle. You're able to get your point across. You just do a good job, and you can use that to get the gospel out. Some of you are just great givers. You just give. Some of you serve like, like champs. Uh, I tell you, when I watch Kelly Bell serve food um, for big groups, it exhausts me watching her because that's not my gift. And she's got a big old grin on her face walking around serving, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. She loves that. And that's, her, that's an avenue for her for the gospel. Some of you have discernment to see some real needs. Um, you can go beyond the, 
the, the surface level and uncover things that are really going on in people's lives. And you can use all of that to take Jesus to this world we're in. And then some of you do have that ability to do what a Ravi Zacharias does and what a C.S. Lewis did. Um, I'll throw this in for free. I don't know who all was still here back in uh, 2017, but we had a guy, Gary Mendelson, come in and talk about engaging a world that is hostile to your faith. Um, if you don't hear anything, I, if nothing registers with you today, go back online and listen to those two sermons. Um, he gave just very, very practical advice about how to interact when you're challenged with the faith. I mean, just really, really good stuff. But one of the things I walked away from that, that series with, with was, he said, when you're interacting with people, that one of the best things that you can do, you're not, God's not on trial. God is eternal God. There's no one here in this world that has standing to put God on trial. So you're not his defense attorney. He said, but what you can do is that ask them questions. Ask them questions. And as you ask them questions, listen. Because A, it will slowly let you see what the real issue is in their heart. Usually the thing they're challenging is not the issue. It's something that's happened in their life or something else that that issue is just kind of covering. And as you ask questions, it'll uncover that and give you insight on how to get the gospel to them. And then secondly, when you ask people questions, sometimes as they're answering you, they realize the fallacy of their arguments. And then the next thing they know, they're like, you know what? They just think you're amazing because you've showed them something that was wrong. And you didn't even say anything but ask them a question. And I just remember him telling us that. And I thought, wow, maybe I should learn how to ask people questions instead of just telling them, here's what I think, you know. But that was just something that some of you, you're able to do that. You have that ability. And I say all this just to say, whatever God has gifted you with, use it. Use it to bring Jesus to the people he's put around you. You don't have to get up and preach a sermon. You may want to. Just in your simple conversations, you can point them to our Lord and Savior. It is really just about realizing Jesus' love for us and showing this love to others. There is, there is nothing more attractive of, of than seeing someone who just really, really loves Jesus Y'all had them in your life. They just exude Jesus. I mean, they just exude him. There was this lady I worked with years ago, and I'll, I know we're on, online and everything, and I'm not going to mention her name, but I remember she'd come walking down the office, and I would watch her, and I would think, if I wasn't a believer, I sure would want to be one because of her, because look at, just look at how she, she lives. I mean, she had a rough life. Things weren't great. But there was always this big old grin on her face, and she just seemed always so happy. And I know it wasn't always well with her, but she just, I don't know, there was just something about her. And it was all because she let Jesus love her, and she in return just loved him back. And it just showed. Um, I know Moose is not here with us. I think anybody that's come through this back door of that church, Moose at some time has grabbed you. <laughs> Probably the first time we came in about five years ago, he grabbed me. I was trying to make sure he wasn't going to crush me. Um, but he grabbed me and he wrapped his arms around me. And then he talks to me about Jesus like we had been buddies for 20 years. You know, he just was talking about scripture and stuff. And I just, I thought, I don't know him that well. I didn't know him that well then. But I thought, you know what? 
I would want that if I wasn't a believer. There's just something there that, man, that, he's got something that I may not have. Sometimes I still feel like he's got something I don't have um, because he just he loves Jesus and he exudes it. And uh, Moose and Charleston, I know you're watching. Uh, we love you, and you've encouraged so many of us. So. so let Jesus love through you other people. Um, who we know is more important than what we know. And that's what Matthew got. The second point I want us to touch on here, not only does Jesus love for us, compels us to action. Secondly, this passage reminds us that Jesus values the lost. He values the lost. So we got this great banquet here. Everybody's coming, hanging out, tax collectors, sinners, others. And, you know, I don't know if this banquet was a sign of Matthew's wealth as a tax collector. I don't know if this was just, hey, I'm going to just spend extravagantly because I'm bringing my Lord Jesus here to, to my team, my group. I, I don't know. But I do know that this invitation to bring everybody here did do two things. Uh, first, that invitation showed those tax collectors and others that, that they were valued. Uh, and, and that's just a simple truth. When we get invited to come over to someone's house, for dinner, you feel valued. You feel like, wow, they want me, my family to come to their house and they're going to make a dinner for me. That alone makes us feel valued. When we get invited to a wedding, we feel valued. You know, it's just all those things. Here these, his friends were, they were despised, they were outcasts, and they got an invitation to go to a banquet with this guy walking around Capernaum that everyone was talking about and they're going to get to go eat with him right there. I mean, wow. If I would have been a tax collector, I would have thought, well, that is pretty cool. And there's going to be free food. I get to eat. You know, so it's like, oh, that you get to come, come enjoy that. Um, but then second and most important about that invitation was Jesus being there showed them they were valued. I mean, rabbis at that day and time did not hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And, and here they were. And here is Jesus with them. And not only was Jesus with them, he, he wanted to be there. And even as the Pharisees were kind of hanging outside the courtyard, yakking at him, like, what are you doing? Getting ridiculed? No. I want to be here. I'm choosing to be here despite the criticism because I value you and I'm here on a bigger mission. Um, and just like that, we have opportunities to show the loss their value. Even if they don't come to know Jesus, we don't even know from this passage who, who all there came to know Jesus or started following him. We don't know that. They're silent on it. Uh, you could conclude that there was people that ended up following Jesus later on. But, uh, and sometimes for us, you know, we think about our enemies, those that um, people that we write off, maybe even groups of people that we write off, you know, organizations that are working against the family or devaluing the sacredness of sexuality or devaluing life or those groups who just question everything about God and God's way. I mean, we can name off a ton of them that are out there. And I'll speak for me. I always tend, when I see this stuff and I hear things, I always tend to focus more on them and what they're doing than rather on Jesus' love for them. And maybe you do the same thing, but... It's just, a, it's just so easy to do that. But yet here is a hurting person. Here is a hurting group. And there's probably something 
some greater need. There is some greater need beyond just probably what I'm hearing come through the television channel or what I'm hearing come out of their mouth. There is something bigger going on there. They're not our enemy. They're just blinded by the same thing that once blinded us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, this is Paul talking, obviously, and he says, in their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. And you know what? The only difference between our enemies and those that are maybe against God and his word that we come in contact with, the only difference between us us that call ourselves believers in them is that God has just opened our eyes to his truth. That's the only difference. He just hasn't opened their eyes yet. And just like he removed the scales off our eyes one day, there's always the potential he could do that for them. Always that potential. And we just have to be close to them. We don't have to do what they're doing. We don't have to hang out with them all the time, but we can't stay away from them because God may use us to be that tool to remove those scales from their eyes. And what an awesome thing to be used by God to do that. I've got a good buddy of mine, um, Gary, who he would go on these mission trips to New York City. So Spread Truth Ministries with Jerry McCorkle, he's spoken here before. They would go every summer up to New York City and do mission work. And, and Gary went in the early 2000s and just felt like that's how, that's how God had wired him to go to the streets of New York City, do prayer stations, share with people the love of Jesus, lead them to Christ, get them connected with the church and discipled. Every summer, at least, and probably more than that, he would go. He got so, so much to the point we used to call him, you know, let's go to New York City, Gary. Here he comes. He's going to ask if we're going to go to New York City with him because he would want to take as many people with him up there to evangelize. And I called Gary this week because uh, the older I get, the more I forget. Um, I'm finding that so much. And so I remember a testimony that he, he gave one time. And I called him about it. And as a testimony to Gary, he's had so many wonderful interactions where he's brought people to Christ. He remembered briefly what I was telling him, but it was getting a little fuzzy. And so I couldn't get all the facts around it. But I'll tell you in general terms what happened and how God used it to impact me. He said one day he was out on the street corner of New York City, and what we would do there, it's kind of like we do at Sterling, we would, we would put on these red smocks that said, do you need prayer? And you, you stand out. I mean, you, now, I say you stand, you would stand out here in Greenville, maybe not in New York City, you just kind of fit in with everybody else, but, but we had these, you know, you know, do you need prayer? And so it was getting, we would be out there for like six hours or so um, on a day, and it's summer, it's July, it's hot, and you get to the end of the day, you're tired, you're wore out, and Gary said he was standing there and there was this guy comes walking by that he just looked at him and was like, that guy has, doesn't have gospel anywhere written on him. He just, he, he's not going to listen to me. And so Gary said, I was just thinking about how best can I go ahead and pack everything up and move on. But he said, Holy Spirit just said, go talk to him, go talk to him. So Gary obeyed Holy Spirit and went up there and said, hey, can I pray about anything with you today? And the guy said, yeah yeah, you can. And so he prayed with him. And then Gary obviously asked the diagnostic question after that. He said, now that I've prayed with you, if you were to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And the guy looked at him and said, I'm not sure. And long story short, Gary presented the gospel to him. The guy right there on the street corner accepted him as Lord and Savior. And Gary, he came back and just said, 
here I was trying to write somebody off from a convenience standpoint. And also just because I just didn't think God was going to be working there. And God taught me a lesson. And I wish I had more details around that because when Gary said that that day, it taught me a lesson just listening to what he said. And it just reminded me, you just never know. You just never know who's out there. No matter what they, they look like, what they believe, you just never know who God is going to bring to his kingdom. And he can use us to do that. Jesus values the lost. And just like Matthew, he uses us to show them they are valued. The lost people are valued. Jesus' love compels us to action. That was the first thing we talked about. Jesus values the loss is the second thing. And then the last thing that this passage reminds us is that Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope, and he's the only hope for this world. Let's read verses 31 and 32 here on Luke chapter 5. Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous sinners to repentance. Beautiful, beautiful words. Now, in these words, he takes a nice little shot at the Pharisees like he always does. You know, he's like, hey, if you think you got it together, just scoot on out. I'm not, I'm not coming after you. Just get out of here. I'm here for those who realize they're sick, who need a savior. And I mean, how many of us we don't go to the doctor unless we're sick. I don't think y'all go to the doctor unless you're sick. You know, if we don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, let's just go visit Dr. Eric. Haven't seen him in a while. Want to see how he's doing. Let's go see my dentist. Haven't seen him either. No, let's just go hang out with him. We don't usually do that. But when we start having a fever, we start feeling a little achy. We're like, you know what? I may need to go see a doctor. Let me go up there. And we have to realize we're sick in many situations before we go to a doctor. And that's what Jesus is laying out here. The first thing is, you have to realize you're a sinner. And he sort of starts laying out the gospel just right here in these two verses. He just lays it out for him. You got to realize that you're a sinner. And my guess is most of those in that audience, they knew they probably weren't right with God. They probably didn't. But Jesus said, I've come for you. So his words reminded them of their condition, that they're sinners. And then his words also reminded them of what their real need was. And that was repentance. That was their real need. Their real need was repentance. It wasn't to be accepted in society. It wasn't to be wealthy. What any other worldly thing, repentance. That's what they needed. And I'd say that's a, that's a good reminder, I think, for all of us as we go out and try to reach the lost, as we try to reach the people around us in our world. There's always one of the great things that I see Christianity and Christian groups do is they go into places to meet a need and then that need opens the door to present the gospel. I used to go on these mission trips. Well, a couple of years I went on with E3 partners and we would take a medical team into South America. And when you went into a community and these individuals came through the door of that medical institute or whatever we would create, I was not the medical side of it. So I don't know what they did in there, but um, they would meet that need medically. And when they would come out of the door that was the, just a ripe opportunity to present the gospel to them. They, we had just met a need, and here we are presenting the hope of Jesus because they were very receptive. Here's a group that's come in that loves us, that are trying to take care of a need of ours, and then we were able to give them the gospel. What would be the problem is, is if we let them come through that medical clinic and came out the door 
and we didn't present the gospel to them. It would have been a good thing we did, but it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. It wouldn't have been the most important thing. It, didn't, it would not have met their main need. And I see a lot of times that we, we get focused. And I see this in the news. We see Christian groups going out. And I mean, there is, we need to be out there, you know, taking care of, of the needs of the poor. We need to be out there standing up for those who, who can't stand up for themselves. But in doing that, we cannot forget the most important thing is to get them back to Jesus and their greatest need, which is repentance and to have him as Lord and Savior. If we lose sight of that in anything we do, we have failed in our efforts out there from a spiritual standpoint. Maybe from a worldly standpoint, it look good. But our goal is to show them a risen Savior, to get them to Jesus as fast as we can. Um, Os Hillman, he's a businessman, Christian businessman who wrote, did a lot of writings. And uh, he wrote, cultural change is the fruit. It's not the goal. Cultural change is the fruit. It's not the goal. The goal is save lives. Jesus is Lord and they're being their Lord and Savior. That's what should be our goal. And our greatest need is to be reconciled to our creator. And I tell you what, I just want to throw out here just very quickly. I'm so thankful for how when we go to Sterling, Ed Santana reminds me of that all the time, that it's not about just giving out a taco. It's really not about just praying. There's a greater need we need to be focused on. We need to ask them where they are spiritually. And I just appreciate that. Appreciate our church focusing on that. Then the last little thing here, these verses that share about the gospel, it said um, in verse uh, 32, I just want to point this out. It says, I have not come to call the righteous. Those words, I have not come, they remind us that Christ is eternal. He came. He already existed. And he's coming. He came here to earth. He was interacting with them. And as they're going to find out later, he paid the penalty for their sins. He was going to pay the penalty for their sins. And his death and resurrection, for those that chose to follow him, one day they would have the opportunity through him, spend eternity in heaven. And isn't that what we all long for? Heaven. I tell you, the more we, the more that we see stuff in our world, um, it's easy to get depressed and to think, man, this place is messed up. But it is messed up. But heaven is where God has called us to as believers. That is our home. And we're supposed to be doing everything we can to prepare ourselves to get there. Um, we don't know how long we'll be on this earth, but that is our goal. Our goal is heaven, and we want to take as many people there as we can with us. I love this verse. I actually reverted back to the NIV 1984 version because that's the version that, that I really like, but I can't find it in print anymore. Um, but 2 Peter 3.13 says, But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And I underline that because I just love that. The home of righteousness. Heaven's going to be a place that everything's just right. It's beautiful. Everything that we had longed for, that is what heaven is going to be because God has put eternity on our hearts. And I tell you what, when we get that and we are just focused on that, it makes reaching out to those around us, sharing the love of Christ with them, it makes it easier. It just does. Because our focus is in the right place. We're not focused on what they're going to think about me. 
We're focused on heaven. We're focused on the fact there's Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to be there, our resurrected Savior, and we want to get there. Um, and those who follow Jesus, they were going to learn of this hope eventually as they continue to follow him. Through Christ, there is hope for all. So Jesus, right here in this last little section, he just laid out for them the gospel. Recognize that you're a sinner, your true needs repentance, and one day there will be something greater, and that's heaven. Billy Graham, I'll refer to him again in his um, Just As I Am biography. He talks about a conversation he had with German Chancellor Konrad Adenauer. This was an individual who was imprisoned by Hitler for opposing the Nazi regime, and he was later Chancellor of West German Federal Republic. So he was actually had a very huge task of trying to repair Germany subsequent to the war. And he he brings Billy in, because Billy got to interact with so many world leaders, and he brought Billy in. They were getting ready to have coffee one morning. And he goes, uh, he looked at Billy and he said, Young man, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? <laughs> now, Billy's given his whole life to serving Jesus, and obviously he believes it. He's like, so Billy returns to him and says, I most certainly do. And Adonair said, So do I. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, there is not one glimmer of hope for the human race. And through Christ and what he did on the cross, there is hope for all. And Matthew got that. He brought Jesus to those that needed that hope. And that's the same calling God has placed on our lives to do the same thing. And it looks different, like we said, for each of us. But we all have an opportunity to play a part in bringing other people to that hope. In Christ. In conclusion, Jesus' love compels us to action. Jesus values the loss, and Jesus is our only hope. Matthew was an unlikely candidate, but because he knew, but because who he knew was more important than what he knew, he took Jesus to the loss. As you sit here and you contemplate what we talked about this morning, um, maybe now or maybe this afternoon or whatever. Who in your world, who has God brought into your little world who needs to hear about the love of Jesus and the hope he can provide? Um, I can't help but think that with everything going on, this is just an excellent opportunity to have those conversations because for most everybody, they see things are pretty messed up. And then what a wonderful opportunity in the midst of turmoil to bring the message of Jesus, the message of hope, to someone. Remember, God has uniquely gifted you for this mission. And I'll conclude with, and I did this last week, I, I just love hymns, so I'm, I'm going to do another one here, one of the, the lost stanzas, if you will, of, of hymnals. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I think this is the third line, uh, third stanza in there. It's like, His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, that's beautiful. Um, Because we serve a resurrected Lord who loves us greatly. Let us respond to those in our world with love. Let's show them their value. And let's take the hope of Jesus to them. Let's pray.